Montana. And I'm Samantha. And you're listening to Reaper Tales. And today I'm going to tell Montana about Thomas Warren Wisenant. I guess is how you say his name. name. But first, what are we drinking, Montana? I'm drinking iced coffee. Um, it's still kind of the morning. so. <laughs> um, and I had mimosas yesterday, so two days in a row, like, I'm not on vacation. Um but if you're listening to this, it's the morning. You don't have to work. Grab yourself a mimosa, I guess. What are you drinking? I am drinking water to hydrate before we record one of the other episodes where we will be drinking <laughs> later today. I'm so excited to try that that drink. It looks Perry. so pretty. I know. So hydrate, my friends. Yeah, stay hydrated or stay caffeinated in or my both. case. I should probably drink water. At least a little bit. Well, I haven't had any today. Yesterday was a full day of um, a a lot of football, but it was a lot of studying for me first part of the day, then research while watching football. So obviously there were a few drinks involved during (laughs) that time. (laughs) Well, if I can tell you anything about how like the past couple of weeks have gone for me, I was headed home after having a girl's day with a girlfriend and my father-in-law texted me and said, Oh my God, how about that Alabama game? (laughs) That's been pretty much the entire season. (laughs) What game? (laughs) It was Saturday. (laughs) You're not missing much, let me just say. Oh, it was Texas A&M. I don't watch, um, yeah, I don't watch Bama um, for obvious reasons. I graduated from Auburn, War Eagle. But their team has not been um, interesting whatsoever this year outside of the fact that they seem to struggle a lot so auburn no alabama oh yeah well they beat texas a&m which barely they're kind of a rival they're a rival but they barely beat them so that's that's kind of where a lot of people are not very happy they're winning but barely and that's not sufficient for alabama fans they need to stomp every single person that they play I'm just always thankful when Alabama is winning, so I don't get that text from our mutual <laughs> who says, you need to get out of bed and take a shot right now. Alabama's losing. Like, you need to do your part. <laughs> no. I'm too old. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I I don't remember ever being able to do that, but I sure as heck can't do it now. Absolutely not. Yeah, no. Um that's my liver water. can't my liver's like nah nah dude i i see your offer and i will raise you a solid glass of water um and then you can have coffee yeah well last time she did it i was like um she was like why are you in bed it's a saturday night it's like nine o'clock i was like because my husband's not home and this is literally all i want to do sleep <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fair enough. I swear I'm not depressed. I just like, I'm tired. <laughs> Girl, same. I'm just glad I got the CFP stuff that I got. I needed to get done yesterday. I'm glad I got that done. It's been over my head all week and I've had no time. But, you know, that that's his life apparently now. Yeah. And um, that's just going to continue now until forever. So better get used to it. Yeah. Well, I'm just thankful <laughs> we're allowed to caffeinate and drink. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'm just glad mine's about to slow down. So, yay, yeah. yay, yeah. And you'll get nice and used to it by the time I 
go up and visit in a few weeks. Hopefully. I'm looking forward to my vacation that is desperately needed and in a couple of weeks. So fingers crossed we'll actually get all the recordings done we need to before that time. So there won't be any hiccups. I hope so. All right. Well, tell me about this. In case this is a pick your poison, um, we're not going to pair this because this is actually about an Alabama serial killer. So that being said, are you ready? (laughs) No, you know, I hate serial killer stories. Um, Well, for this one, I'm just going to do a blanket trigger warning. It's about a serial killer and involves kidnapping, killing, rape and mutilation. So. I'm not going to go into more detail than I feel is necessary, but if you don't want to hear any of that, I absolutely do not blame you. Maybe just skip over this episode as a whole because I'm not going to give you warnings before each one because, like I said, it's a serial killer. So, Consider yourself lucky to be able to skip it. I not only have to listen to it as we record, but yet again as I edit it. So Maybe someday we'll get an editor and we won't have to have you do it as well. Hopefully. (laughs) All right, so Thomas Warren Weisenhunt was born January 29th, 1947, to Willie and Emma Weisenhunt, and was the youngest of four children. He lived in Pritchard, Alabama, and came from a low-income family, one very much ruled by his mother. His mother was described as a domineering woman who would constantly argue and frequently attacked her physically weak an alcoholic husband, and even encouraged her children to follow her example against him, often when his father was drunk on his drink of choice, moonshine. Nice. So this is a very uh, backwards way than what we normally hear. Uh, He was an alcoholic, but the wife was the abusive one from all accounts that I saw. Um, From everything I saw, his father was not at all abusive to any of them. Well, he probably he basically went to work, came home, was probably already drunk, if not got drunk quickly, and just kind of laid around, I guess. Well, he probably had to drink because his wife was so domineering. Heaven forbid a woman be strong. Also, in a lot of serial You're not going to like his mom. Oh. I'm just going to give you a heads up. You're not going to like his mom. Great. But, I mean, a lot of serial killers, don't they have, like, domineering mothers? A lot of them, Yeah. You're going to hear my dog losing his shit in the background because my husband decided to leave right as I said I was going to record. Um, so enjoy that. You might hear my uh, youngest lose her shit because the trampoline is right outside and they've been playing on it most of the day. So um, there might be ill-timed screams going on. I promise everybody's okay. Yeah. My Absolutely. dog is okay. He's just in his crate because he hurt his leg again. So Again. Again. Um, it's his fault that he's in there. <laughs> he he did it to himself. <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, yeah. So his father would get drunk on moonshine and then he would try to seduce or entice his wife who apparently always rejected him. Uh, apparently not four times at least. Oh, yeah. I was about to say, uh, not always. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what, it, what I read in the articles. Okay. Oddly enough, it seems It seems she only abused her husband, never physically harming her son, Thomas, um, though it was unclear if she ever physically abused the other children. Um, I didn't see a yes or a no. It wasn't specified. And I'm specifying physical abuse because this is obviously abusive to the children, even if they aren't physically harmed or, quote, yelled at. 
The fact is that this type of behavior, even if it's not directed at the child, can severely affect the child as they grow up, as we will see. Yeah, and also, even if a parent, like, even though they say they didn't abuse this one kid, and it's pretty rare that, like, a parent will only abuse one kid, one, they could abuse a portion of the kids in a different way or more severely, but they're all getting abused in some way. Yeah, well, and just being in this situation at all is going to be mentally abusive it's going to be to some extent verbally and emotionally abuse abusive as well because she's encouraging them to act this way towards their father and that's been shown obviously and anytime a parent one parent six six the other kids towards the other parent it's Mm -hmm. never going to go well for that child that is abuse so they were abused but not necessarily physically yeah And there's some other stuff going on, too. It was said she spoiled Thomas and was quite overprotective of him. He was forced to share the bed with his mother until at least the age of seven. And even after that, he stayed in the same bedroom as her until he was 16. Is it, was it just like they slept in the same bed or there was other stuff happening? No. Um, as far as I could read of all of the accounts that I read, he, they literally just slept in the bed. It was just sleeping, and um, he slept in a separate bed, but in the same room as her from the age of 7 to 16. So nothing was going on. As far as all accounts I could see, there was no sexual abuse there. It was more of, like, domineering, over-controlling, over-protective. Yeah. Okay. But obviously there is some kind of sexual issues going on here because he's never allowed to sleep on his own. So obviously there's going to be some confusion at best when you grow up in that type of an environment. It's a codependency thing Mm -hmm. and codependency can cause sexual attraction, which is odd. This is going to be a weird case. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, because there's a lot going on. Um, And that's one reason why it was a case that I was going to cover. I knew I was going to cover eventually. And I had never heard of him, but I'm surprised that I hadn't because of the timing of when all this happened. And then also um, the situation. But I guess people aren't, I I don't really think it's covered a whole, whole lot. But yeah, in any case, I'm not surprised I haven't heard of it. Just, well, you don't look into <laughs> you don't look into any of this stuff. This uh, is yeah. one of those that I kind of stumbled upon um, in researching a different case, and I wrote down the name so I could go back to it later. Yeah. Um, at this point, or at that point, at the age of sixteen, his sister reported he had become moody and violent. Even in his teen years, his mother constantly accompanied him, never letting him out of her sight. And a psychologist later said Thomas resented her for it, which is not really surprising. Yeah. According to AL.com, quote, Tommy resented his mother, psychiatrist William Rudder testified in court. I think he was afraid of her. And each of the women who died at Weisenhent's hands was a, quote, mother substitute, according to the testimony of another psychiatrist, Claude Brown. The victims were direct, were, quote, direct representatives of his mother who were annihilated by him in order to maintain his own existence. 
After Emma Wisenhunt gave birth to Tommy, her fourth and last child, she ended whatever sexual relationship she had with her husband, never again allowing him into her bed, which was probably another reason why he stayed in the bed was the dad couldn't sleep in the bed with them. This is so weird. Often drunk on moonshine, he bought down the street. Willie Wisenhunt would sneak in on his wife and try to seduce her, Stevens testified. The house would erupt, she said, her mother screaming, Willie, go back to bed. Leave me alone. I told you to leave me alone. So this is something that his sister is testifying to in Mm -hmm. court. So they're hearing this in the household, which is obviously going to mess up any type of relationship that you would expect to have later on in life. And like, um, you know, even if you're married to that person, you can't sneak in there and try to do stuff to them. No. Um, consent is key. It, it's, a, it's a very key. Uh, yeah. But also. <laughs> in, in any situation. And on the but, flip it's a, side, but on the flip side, like, that's a very unfair situation for her to put him in as well, just refusing to ever allow him to have that relationship with her. Yeah. If, if that was going to be a part of your relationship long term, it's, it's a conversation you need to have with your partner beforehand because there are relationships that don't have physical aspects to it. And that's fine, but that should be an agreement. That should be a conversation and agreement between both parties. Again, that's that's also consent if you think about it, because if it's something that he needs and she just took it away from him without even asking or talking about it, then you're, I mean, that's a, a very obviously a type of abuse. You're refusing to give the other person what they need in order to be fulfilled in a relationship. So, yeah. It goes cut them loose. Let them, let them go sow their seed. I'm sure she needed him to pay the bills. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> There's Whatever. that. Sometimes Emma, which is the mom, urged both children to pummel their father with shoes or other objects. That's not when, okay. Nope. When Willie what when Willie worked, uh, which what which wasn't often, his wife would quote go through his billfold and she would find a paycheck and make sure it was the exact amount he gave her. End quote. Stephen said, and if it wasn't, she would fuss on him. So you stole it, and he would tell her that he had to pay so and so like union dues. My daddy had to steal his own money to get anything. When sober, Willie was relegated to household chores. Stephen said her father washed nearly every dish that was washed in the house and when he wasn't dr- uh only when he wasn't drunk when he was drinking he just didn't do anything okay which it is sounds, it sounds like he's drinking to cope honestly i mean it really does honestly um there were there would be tremendous rows between her parents Stephen said her father usually got the worst of it i can remember a lot of times where my daddy was all bruised up she said i can remember many times i would tell her i would say mama please just leave him alone come on back and leave him alone but you know she always told us your daddy keeps you from having anything because he drinks all the time and i was convinced that that was the case and i always defended her that's Again, this is psychological abuse. Yeah, it's not the case. It sounds like he's drinking to cope because your mother is abusing him physically, emotionally, you know, all of the things, all of the things. She's she's like control financial abuse. She's controlling mm-hmm. the assets. It, and I mean, if you're going to sit there and look at somebody and tell them they are worth nothing every single day and they don't do anything. Guess what? That's how they're going to feel. They're going to yeah. feel like they're worth nothing and they're not going to do anything because that's what you've already told them you expect of them. Yeah. Just saying. 
The mom's wrath apparently was reserved for her husband only. Toward her youngest son, Stephen said she was overprotective. She wouldn't let him even enjoy himself. Stephen's testimony depicted a relationship between mother and son in which the mother saw to it that her baby boy was never at fault and whose wishes were never denied. His sister said that when Tommy had grown into a teenager and obtained a car, his mother, quote, would go buy gas with him. She just did not let him out of her sight. He got in trouble in Pritchard, and after that, she got worse, end quote. Until Tommy, until Tommy was about 12 years old, his sister said, he was a mild child. He wasn't mean. But she said he then changed into a moody, often violent young man who sometimes even turned on his mother. Uh, could you imagine, like, having a parent that, like, never leaves you alone? Yeah. No, well, because I would lose my mind. My my dad. I don't, even, I don't even want my I, look. I love my husband, but during COVID, we were around each other so much that we actually yeah. we did go to couples therapy, which I have no problem talking about because I think everybody should do that before a marriage breaks down. Because we were fighting, and and we don't really fight. He doesn't fight. I fight mostly. <laughs> I yell. Yeah, and you do. Frustrated. <laughs> and he just sits there and he's like, okay, and he just walks away. Um, and then I have to go back and apologize because I was being a brat. But. Like being around somebody all the time is exhausting. And that was one thing that the counselor told us. She was like, you guys have got to find your separates. I know we're stuck in a house together, but you have to find ways of getting separate from each other every so often and getting you time, whether that's going outside and reading a book, drinking a beer, whatever. And he stays inside and plays his games. But you have got to separate yourselves from each other on occasion because you need that time. Yeah, so I cannot imagine as a child growing up and developing and constantly being around your parent, either one. No, thank you. Yeah, especially during those like teenage years, those like they really cement who you become like as an adult. Well, I mean, your early 20s kind of do that, too. But like in your teenage years, you're like exploring your own sexuality, like your body, you're maturing, you're figuring out like the way things work and if you don't have any privacy to do that like and then on top of it you're being taught by somebody who's like this yeah it's a recipe for disaster oh i'm not surprised he turned violent um yeah. as a teen at the very least uh, into a moody violent teen yeah i could see i could see that like i get i get really i'm not an angry person like by any means um I'm pretty chill. I can get angry, but I don't express it that much. But I get frustrated when I have too many people around me for too long. And it's because I get overstimulated. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't imagine like living in that situation where it's just constant. And you couldn't like, I, I would be raging all the time. I need my alone time to yeah. be alone in my thoughts, sometimes just listening to music in a room by myself, not doing if, anything else. If I can't watch the entire Twilight series once a month <laughs> by myself, I just, it's going to, things are going to get bad. That's all I'm saying. Fair, <laughs> duly noted. <laughs> uh, Emma, apparently the mother had a withered lower arm from a childhood mishap, Stephen said, and Tommy would grab her arm on occasions like just to hurt her and steven said it was hell every day in their house growing up that's so, so that's just to give you a picture of a, an idea of what his life was like growing up before we get into what he becomes yeah 
All right. So at the age of... Wait, before we get into it, it's not an excuse. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Blanket saying that. It kind of explains how he becomes what he becomes. It it explains the mindset, possibly. And and it's the age-old question, right? Is it nurture or nature? And I think in this situation, and and I, I think most always, it's a little, it's a combination of both. Whether it's a little bit of the nature and a whole lot of the nurture, or whether it's a lot of the nature and a little bit of the nurture, there's usually a combination somewhere in there. Yeah. Because not everybody that was in this situation, he had three brothers and sisters and they didn't grow up to do what they ended up doing. So you have people that are that are raised in situations very similar that never once had even considered going in this direction. But it does help explain a little bit where that mind was possibly um, and, and what led to what happened later on yeah it's 100 percent his fault it's like another podcast i listen to says you feel sorry and 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 feel for the child but you don't feel bad for the adult that makes the decisions or in this case teenager because he starts as a teen um that does this because he knew right from wrong yeah that's not ever questioned in this case so we don't feel sorry for him, but I hate that this happened as a child and what happens later more than likely could have been avoided. You know, had he really, not been in that situation. Who really gets you questioning like the nature versus nurture uh, situation? Stephen King. I've been reading a lot of Stephen King since October. October is strictly Stephen King. And he really makes you question like, is it nature and nurture or is this like just an instinctual aspect of like the human condition and that's why all of his books are so terrifying just fyi (laughs) well i mean i think we can all agree that the question has been made quite quite frequently would he have been a serial killer if he hadn't decided to start writing and getting all this stuff out of his head (laughs) true true i mean he can come up with some twisted stuff um i've never heard it and we read it so yeah I've never heard that, but I've started to question like my own love of Stephen King simply because I'm like some of the vile stuff that he writes in his his books. I'm just like, he had to have this thought in his head before he put it on paper. Mm -hmm. Like he had to have it in his head. But it is fascinating if you ever hear or read um, interviews with him, his thought process behind some of the things that he puts into books like it. I won't ruin the ending for those of you that haven't read it, despite the fact it's been out forever. But there actually was a reason behind the ending. And the reason why he did that, which I had never heard until I watched a documentary on the making of the original It, he explained it to one of the people that was interviewed. And basically he said the idea was that it terrorized children. And so that was a way for them to do away with their childhood so they couldn't be terrorized again. Mm, that no. was the mindset behind it still, still doesn't vile. make a whole lot of sense still <laughs> vile but i'm like oh okay i can i can sort of understand that way of thinking i guess anyways we got off on a long enough tangent yeah. i was just like well, that was we're, my- gonna take, we're gonna take pit stops on this one yeah. probably every so often um because i'm only on page two of seven so hey, at the welcome. age <laughs> at the age of 16 wisenhunt was a suspect in the shooting of Lexi Haynes, a 72-year-old woman who was fatally shot in Pritchard on May 6, 1963. 
Police arrived at the scene of the crime and found the murder weapon in an empty lot next to the Wisenhunt home. Thomas was immediately a suspect as he had been charged recently with the robbing of a blind woman, which a retired police captain later said was dropped due to a technicality. What, she couldn't identify him? What? Seriously? You're going to drop that in there? That's, I'm legitimately asking. She was blind. <laughs> yeah, I know. Is that the technicality? Like, oh, I don't know. It didn't say, it didn't, nothing I read ever clarified why it was dropped. Um, but there wasn't ever a case mentioned, so it must have been dropped at some point. So, it, I mean, we've researched how many cases and it really takes very little in order for it to be dropped. And I'm yeah, sure his right. mom was up there at that police station screaming up a storm to get him released. So they may have just said, good Lord, just take him home. Um, mm-hmm. there's no telling. And they've been in that, um, town for, you know, the whole time of his life. So I'm sure everybody knew the family. That wasn't a joke. Like, I wasn't making a joke. I thought you were joking. I was like, that's no. a really <laughs> joke. I can't I believe was you would legitimately do that. asking. It was like, what? Because, like, it, you can't, like, is it because she can't identify him? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was obvious that they knew he did it, but yeah. I guess they didn't have, they might not have had any way of actually pinning it on him without any evidence. I don't know. He escalated pretty quickly. He went from robbery to, um, shooting somebody yeah yeah like wow so when the police questioned thomas about the murder he provided an alibi of being at home when the shooting took place and it was corroborated by his family of course a witness later came forward saying that they saw thomas and his friends playing with a stolen handgun before the fatal shooting and that he had taken a bullet from the revolver held it up and stated it would be killing somebody soon Police later said that Haynes had said something to Thomas about his behavior, and they believe this is why he killed her. Unfortunately, for unknown reasons, he was never brought to trial, uh, brought in front of a jury for a trial for this case. This is what, the 50s? 60s. 63. Okay. So, take a wild guess about what happened next. He escalated even more? He raped somebody? Close. He joined the Air Force. Oh, God. Here we this go. is what we do. We go into the military, right? Because that's going to solve everything. Well, they join it so that they, because they think that they can legally harm people. Like they have an excuse and they have like, they have a right to harm people. That's why people like that join the military. When in reality, when you join it, more than likely you're not going to see combat. Duh. No, and more often than not, people like this don't make it in the army in any type of military because they can't follow the rules and they can't follow what they're being told to do with specific tasks. They can't apply themselves the way they need to in order to do the very stringent things that are required. And they inevitably end up being discharged, whether it's because they just can't hack it or whether it's because they attack somebody in some way, shape or form. Yep. So he was initially stationed at ENT Air Force Base near Colorado Springs, Colorado. While there, he attacked a U.S. Air Force WAF, which is woman, Women in Air Force, named Rose Covington, who was 22 at the time. He beat her with a metal ashtray until she was unconscious and in the finance office of the ENT Air Force Base at that. So it was just in the middle of the finance office, basically. I'm curious, did he have charges brought up against him for this? Oh, wait, I'm getting there. Covington was left with severe facial and head injuries and ended up being in the hospital for two months. 
after, uh, according to Covington's testimony at the trial, she had never even met him, let alone knew him or even knew what he looked like. The thing that caught him was a shoe print left behind at the scene of the crime, which the FBI, which an FBI laboratory expert testified matched his shoe. Despite the fact that he continued to deny the charges and claimed to be and claimed to be not guilty, he was ultimately charged and found guilty of assault with intent to commit murder on March 14, 1966, and was sentenced to 20 years in prison, quote, with hard labor, which was interesting to see because I don't know that I've ever seen that on a charge before on a sentencing. Well, especially not the, sorry, did the FBI sentence him or did the, the, he was in the Navy air force. Yeah, he was in the air force. This was not, it wasn't specified whether what court, but it, since it happened on the base and it was against another air forceman, I would think that this would be like, uh, what's it called? Um, the Air Force. The military yeah. would have brought him to charges and sentenced him. So that would be my guess. It wasn't specified one way or another. That's an interesting char- That's an interesting sentencing, especially if it came from the military. Well, he was also reduced in rank, ordered to forfeit all pay, and dishonorably just discharged, obviously, from the Air Force. His initial sentence was carried out at Fort Carson, but he was later transferred to an undisclosed location that was a federal prison for the remainder of his sentence. Well, I'm glad that they actually investigated and had charges put against him. At some point, we need to cover the violence against women in the military and how often it goes unsolved. We would definitely have to narrow that focus because that would be a lot. Yeah. Unfortunately, take a while. Guess what I'm about to say? He was he was released early on good behavior. Like so many cases before that we've covered, his sentence was reduced to ten years, and he was granted parole on November twenty eighth, nineteen seventy three. Only seven and a half years after he was found guilty, Don't so he didn't do even that. serve half of his time. Don't do that. Like, and especially, oh my god, and especially in a situation where this man didn't even know this woman. Like, didn't even know her. And he he lost it. He beat her almost to death, where she was in the hospital for weeks. And they believed that he had beat her and left her thinking she was going to die. So there was, there was an assault with, I mean, that's his charge was assault with intent to kill. Yes. So why are you releasing him? He oh behaved himself God. really well in jail. <laughs> So let's fast forward two years, shall we? Just two years. When Wisenhunt attacked another woman named Patricia Hitt on November 21st, 1975. He approached her. He approached her, beat her, and then fatally shot her in the head. Patricia Hitt was a mother of two who worked in a convenience store in Mobile County, Alabama. Unfortunately, at first, two other men were arrested for the crime, but eventually those charges were dropped from what I could tell. So you mean to tell me that a man that almost killed somebody, a woman, by beating her within an inch of her life was released early on good behavior and he uh, did it again? Two years later. Almost two years. Exactly two years later. Yep. Crazy, right? (laughs) Shocking. Meanwhile, Wisenhunt stepped up his game and kidnapped and murdered another woman who worked at a convenience store as well in Mobile, Alabama, named Ver- Verona Hyatt, who was 44 years old. 
He kidnapped her from the store and took her to a house that was described as old and covered in kudzu vines. He then murdered her and dumped her body near an abandoned shack in Mobile. He then returned the following day and mutilated her body as well. He took her wristwatch to give as a present to his wife later. Oh, God. How sweet. Yeah. How sweet. Hate to know how she felt when she found out where that watch came from. Did he ever sexually assault these victims? We'll get into it. Okay. I I said it included it, so. Okay. On October 16th, 1976, this is the third in a one-year time span, Wisenhunt again kidnapped a convenience store clerk at gunpoint. This woman was named Cheryl Lynn Payton, a 23-year-old, thank you, dog, a 23-year-old who worked at a compact store in Mobile County. After he kidnapped her, he took her to a secluded spot in a wooded area and raped her in the front seat of his pickup truck. Then he killed her by shooting her in the head with a 32 caliber pistol, dragging her body into the woods nearby. But he had not, okay. Up to this point, as far as we know, he had never raped any of the other women. Well, what's interesting, how old was the woman on the base that he attacked? I don't know that I, I think she was 20, 22. Okay. All right. Because my thought process was like the other ones were a bit older, maybe closer to like his mother. So, you know, maybe he's attacking his mother and then like the younger ones. I don't know. Like He, he got away with old. I, I, I was trying to reason. There's no reason. There's not reasoning. In, in There's not reasoning yeah. on this one. On any of them, really. On October 17th, true to what most serial killers do, Wisenhunt followed his new pattern by returning to the body and mutilating it, slashing her abdomen and cutting off a large part of her breast. This time, he was spotted near the crime scene. He then ran to his truck and drove off, was chased by the police at speeds from 80 to 100 miles per hour until the truck crashed into an electrical fence and wrecked in a clump of woods. He then jumped from the vehicle, ran into the woods. The area was quickly surrounded by 20 police vehicles, and the police, having identified him, sent for his wife to attempt to bring him out. She shouted for him to come out, to which he responded, Baby, I have done everything they said I did. The officers then entered the woods, finding him unarmed. He then said, you SOBs, I'm going ki- to make you kill me. He was then handcuffed and taken to the station and interrogated. Once with the police, he confessed to all of his crimes, not just murdering Peyton and mutilating her body, but also to the murder of Hitt and Hyatt. He also admitted later to committing the murder of Hay- Haynes when he was 16, but he wasn't done. He also confessed to assaulting Covington at in the military, which they already knew about, obviously, and attacking two other women, including his wife. He claimed that the only woman woman that he ever raped was Peyton. Uh, apparently, this was important to him to distinguish. Okay, and from it's all still that rape. we can tell, as as from everything we can tell, she was the only one. And you were going to hear a dog barking in the background because that is her favorite pastime. Again, but it's still it's still rape. Like even yeah. though you just did it to one person, it's still it's disgusting just, and it vile. was just once. Honestly, he probably did it to his wife. I mean, they yeah. just didn't call it rape at the time because they were married. Yeah, true. Uh, hint: If consent is not obtained, whether you are married or not, it is still considered rape. Just FYI. Yep. So this is another case where the trial was actually moved from the county due to the amount of press the case was receiving. The trial was ultimately moved to Birmingham, and on August 1st, 1977, the trial for the murder of Peyton began. He initially pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity, but was found not only to be sane, but also guilty of capital murder on August 9th, 
which remember, in the state of Alabama, is the only charge that can have the death penalty. On September 7th, he was sentenced to death. Did they charge this him? This is pretty quick. For the other murders? The other no crimes? Okay. They didn't to. Well, I mean, yeah, he has a death sentence that comes down or whatever, and you can always leave that in the back pocket. But at the same time, if you don't get those charges on the books, it's I don't think they had enough evidence for the other two. It was just a confession. Okay. It was just a confession. It's still, it, I don't, I think about the families in that case. And like, I know. while they have answers, they don't have a conclusion. Right. So. Rude. So. There was testimony information from the trial that I was able to locate as to how the police were on the scene the day that they caught him. So per that document that I found, Tris Lowe testified that he lived on Two Mile Road in Irvington, Alabama in Mobile County. On October 16, 1976, Lowe and his fiance stopped at the compact store on Swedetown Road at approximately 8.30 p.m. There he, there he saw Miss Peyton, whom he identified on... The, uh, in the two photographs previously introduced, and bought two cold drinks. Lowe later, later returned to the store at 10 o'clock, and at that time, nobody was in the store and no vehicles were in the parking lot. Lowe said a Coke machine was open with the keys in the lock and a broken six-pack of Coca-Cola cans on the floor with a mop and a bucket nearby. Lowe then identified four photographs depicting the store, to which defense counsel stated that he had no objection to their being admitted to the evidence. So the def defense said, yeah, that's fine. You can go ahead and admit them. So they were admitted. When Lowe found the store empty, he attempted to use the payphone outside, but the receiver was, quote, tore up. Lowe also noticed a Miller pony inside the phone booth. I don't really know what that is. Is that like the Miller like pony? I guess. I don't know. Is there a pony that... The only pony I know about is the stupid Wells Fargo one. <laughs> so he then went back into the store and used the telephone inside the store, summoned the police, and remained at the scene until the sheriff's deputies arrived. So that, so that's probably one big reason, honestly, because he was there. There was only, what, an hour and a half gap between his two visits. So he probably got there pretty quickly after everything had happened. It's not so a they were already aware. It's not a pony. It's like a type of bottle. So they're like Oh, okay. They're like tiny Miller Lite bottles. They're just called okay. ponies. <laughs> That's cute. Interesting. <laughs> now, the more you know. The more you know. <laughs> look, Paul, we look something up. <laughs> Gary Risher testified that he was a resident of Spring Hill and Mobile in October of seventy six. On Sunday, October 17th, he and his friend George Pendervis were hunting on the land um, of Ed Tripp in Irvington, Alabama. Risher then identified three photographs depicting the area, and the defense counsel stated they didn't object to them being admitted. Approximately 6 p.m., the two of them saw a man slightly off the roadside watching them drive towards him. Pendervis called the man over to the car and asked him what was he doing there, to which the man replied he was walking around. Then thinking that the man was out night hunting, which is not something you're allowed to do in the state of Alabama, Pendervis told him, well, we know what you're doing here. Pendervis only repeated that statement when the man asked what he meant by it. And then the man just walked in the direction of Highway 90. So just walked off. Oh, okay. On the next Monday evening, Risher identified the man in the lineup at the police department because it's obviously who it is. 
Of the six men in the lineup, he identified the appellate as the man whom he and Pendervis had seen on the land the evening before. And then Risher also identified the appellate in court because they're required to do that as the same man. Mm-hmm. Now, Tripp, this was the person who owned the land, testified that he lived there and where he had farmed about 5,000 acres of land. On Sunday evening, they the two previous men notified him that they had seen someone on his property, which you usually do in the state of Alabama. And then now you're in trouble because you've been identified and they're going to find you and probably have a gun in hand when they do. Yeah. Tripp drove down to the plot where the man had been seen on Monday the 18th and parked his car. When he walked out into the field, he discovered the body of a woman clad only in knee-high stockings and a blue denim skirt. And there were no cuts on the body at this time, which is a slight differentiation between what the article said. So the timing is a little bit off. Tripp then reached his house in five minutes and called the law and met investigating officers at the south end of North Gulf Boulevard 10 to 15 minutes later. When Tripp returned to the field with the two officers, the body was gone. However, drag marks were leading away from the spot. Tripp and the officers followed the marks, discovering the body in a thicket covered with boards. At this time, he observed cuts on the body. So between the time that he saw her body that morning and he gets the cops there, um, Weisenhunt had made it to the body, dragged it away so it wouldn't be so obvious, and cut up the body and left. Tripp identified two photographs depicting the victim, and a carton of Miller beer in pony bottles was near the victim's head. So obviously this was his drink of choice. Okay. While waiting for the officers at the boulevard, Tripp had seen a white pickup truck on the road. Tripp identified the photograph depicting the white pickup truck as being the same vehicle he had seen that day. Defense stated that they had no objection to admitting the photograph, blah, blah, blah. Tripp described the driver of the truck as having long, curly-like reddish hair and a Fu Manchu mustache, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> Fu Manchu. I haven't heard that in a while. I mean, it, it, was, that, it was that time. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that was about the time of that anyway. Mm-hmm. Now, at the trial, the appellate was clean-shaven, and his hair was neatly cut, of course. Of course. Tripp further testified that after the body was found in the thicket, one officer had gone back to the police vehicle to use the radio. At this time, Tripp saw the same truck coming back down the road. The vehicle stopped, turned around, and took off real fast. One officer remained at the scene with Tripp, while the other undertook the pursuit of the speeding vehicle, which I've already gone through. So that was essentially how it happened. So it actually, I mean, that was a really quick turnaround time. Within two days, he was busted. And it really was... It just seems like his need to go back to the body to to do that mutilation is inevitably what got him caught. I mean, he he's taking to so many others. Every box in the series, like if he mm-hmm. if he hadn't gotten caught in that, you know, that soon, and like wasn't soon enough because any murder is just by awful and unexcusable. But he could have. I mean, Ted Bunn, like. I hate mentioning Ted Bundy. I think he's stupid. Like, I don't get the hype. Whatever. He could have been a Ted Bundy. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he he had mommy issues. He Obviously. You know, returned to the body. He escalated just leaps and bounds. I have a feeling that um, the next step was going to be... At certain acts on the body. Yeah. I think that was the next thing that he was probably going to escalate to if he hadn't been caught. Yeah, for sure. Because I feel like that's the only thing missing in this uh, situation. Yeah, it, it is. 
that or eating, uh, eating it. I wouldn't have been surprised at that either, but it, it he's a very, his situation is very, um, different uh, than, he, than the ones that, um, were mentioned like Ted Bundy. Like, he, he was, he raped his victims. Yeah. Pretty much every time. This was obviously not the main thing for this person. Um, because he only uh, he he I say only, but I don't. I, all I mean is like that was not something that he started with. A lot of these start that way, and then they escalate to murder. His is almost the opposite that we know of, and uh, and it could just be it could be a you know lack of libido. It, there could be something wrong in that area. That's why he he didn't, and that could be a part of his rage. I don't know. I'm speculating. But the whole point is, like, he did. He was leading up to that. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that it was different, but he had just raped one of his victims. I wouldn't be surprised if he continued down that path. Oh, yeah. Well, it, I mean, luckily in this situation, he was caught. So, and we'll get into it, but we'll never know any additional real information about any reasons why behind yeah. anything. Well, and it's it's not interesting, but uh, there's he could have there could have been such a there's such defined past that these serial and this is why it pisses me off because they're so predictable, but at the same time they're just so gross and like there's just no reason. So he could have been could have gone to necrophilia. It could have gone to you know eating the body it could have gone to you know there's always just the sameness of it and that's why like it's I just can, an escalation because yeah. once they do it once it's not as exciting anymore so now i need to do something else whether i need to do it in a more public area or i need to do something worse in some way shape or form to yeah. get that high that i got the first time and i just i don't i don't get it i can't get it i'll never get i don't most people i mean it's like it. a, it's basically like a drug to them it's it's yeah. very similar to the feeling that they're chasing that high. Ugh, I hate it. Um, so most agreed that while the attacks were likely related to what was described as his markedly abnormal childhood, to say the least, he was aware of his actions when committing the crimes. Brown, the mobile psychiatrist, suggested that Weisenhunt coddled, petted, and spoiled throughout his youth simply never matured into a man. Brown said that in the... De- in the demands of his mother made on him to share her bedroom with no sexual implications apparent, quote, one sees there the top, the top of the iceberg, the iceberg being the massive overprotection of this individual, the massive clinging mutually child to mother, mother to child, end quote. His dependency on his mother was engineered by her, Brown said. She was a tyrant, a despot. The other side of the dependency is resentment, one expert suggested. Normal children come to know that they are no longer fixtures in their mother's nests. Tommy Weisenhunt learned this only minimally in fragments, with pain and never completely, they speculated. According to Brown, the emotional and and psychological maturity that naturally naturally occurs as children grow was in Weisenhunt squelched. I knew I was going to... Squelch is such an interesting word, but squelched by his mother's total domination. I hate all of that. It's all of all of that was an excuse. All of that was a way to excuse his behavior. If you, if he had been a black man, that same narrative wouldn't have been said. 
And I hate the fact that they said he was never allowed to grow into a man. What depicts a man? Is it your own narrative of what a man should be? Like, the whole statement is just wrong. And I get what they're trying to do and what they're trying to say. But at the same time, the whole narrative of that whole entire statement was an excuse in his behavior. That's all that was. It, It pisses me off. Like, he did this. Yeah. He did this. You know, everybody deals, there are plenty of people who deal with terrible mothers in situations such as that, and they don't become this. And, yeah, I get that. And But I think, too, it's not necessarily an excuse as much as it's a um, explanation as a possible reason behind it. That doesn't necessarily always mean it's an excuse. Just because I can explain why I did something doesn't mean or that it wasn't wrong, nor does it negate the fact that I knew it was wrong when I did it. I can still tell you why. That doesn't say that it's okay, and it doesn't say that I'm saying that I wasn't wrong. No, fair. And I'm not saying that you are. I, it's like... No, I'm, I'm just saying in general. Um, so I think these psychologists are just trying to find a possible reason because I mean, that's what we do, right? When we do these true crime cases, a lot of times that's kind of why we listen to the cases, why we research them or study them. We're trying to figure out why, because we can't fathom why somebody would do something like this because we could never put ourselves in that place. So there is that question of why. And I think that's what they were trying to answer. Um, Whether these testimonies were for the defense or, or, um, the prosecution, I don't know. Um, that would obviously make a big difference. But I think that they, regardless, they obviously ruled that he was not insane. Although that was something that was hinted at at some point that he tried to say temporary insanity. But when you do it four, five, six, seven times, you can't really claim that anymore. No, you, sir, you knew what you were doing. And I think, I think just like what takes me... The whole situation takes me off. Gonna go ahead and say that. Blanket statement. I think that they were focused, like the psychiatrists and things like that, were focused too much on like finding reasons why he did what he did instead of focusing on him and his own like psychology. And like, and I know like your upbringing and things like that play a role in it, but there's something innately wrong with somebody who does something like this. Oh, for sure. And giving them a ready excuse that their childhood was not great is not going to help you get to the root of like what is truly inside of them and what's wrong. It can be an aspect of it, but it's not going to be the full story. And if you lean too heavy on that, you're not going to get the full story. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Well, it's only one, one piece of the entire puzzle. So there's a lot of other stuff going on. I mean, what happened since his childhood, since he's left his mother, since he's been living on his own while he was with his wife at his home, how did he act at work? Like there's a whole lot that just wasn't talked about really. Yeah. And and at the time that he was um, arrested, how old was he then? It was like in his thirties, right? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Let's see. It was, Where's the year? 19... Was it 70? 1976. Yeah, so he had been... He was born in 47. So... He had already spent 
a good portion of his life outside of the grasp of his mother. Yeah. (laughs) At that point, I mean, he'd already been in the military too. And he'd been in jail at that point. And he was married and living with his wife. So, I mean, there was definitely a lot more going on than just that. Yeah. But I, I get, I get why they bring it up. I just don't like it as like a ready excuse. Because it's not. It's not. Um, Willie, the father, due to his alcoholism, meekness, and his inability to rise above himself or his bullying wife, was a non-entity. As a functional male model, he was non-existent, Brown said. Tommy's attitudes towards his father, Brown said, hinged on his perception that whatever was dished out to the old man as a whatever was dished out to the old man as a kind of degraded object. So didn't even view his dad as a real person was in reality also dished out to the son. So he felt like even though he didn't see his dad as a, as a real person, he also felt like it was, he was receiving it as well, which is how kids are. I mean, that's, that's why it's so bad as a parent. If you tell them bad things about their other parent, that's a part of them. And so they feel that themselves when you say that to them because they come from that too. It, so it just in the, it sounds like this, the whoever's writing all of this is uh, taking a note from Freud. Quite right? <laughs> like, you can't, like, Freud has some great, like, it, he, he had else. some great into, like, insights and things like that, but he was not, uh, like, a piece. A piece of his stuff was right, but there are other aspects to psychology that go it's, into It's funny it to um, read or hear what other psychologists think about uh, Freud that don't necessarily follow all of his teachings. They're like, man, he was oddly focused on one very specific aspect and like all of, of his incest. Well, yeah. <laughs> so obviously, this was something that was on his mind. Anyway. Yeah. Oddly, when reviewing the case and Wisenhunt himself, it's hard to see a definite motive. When asked by the police why he attacked the women, he claimed to not know and even asked them why they thought he did it. When he, asked, when he was asked later by psychologists the reason behind the murders and mutilations, he would get annoyed and just clam up. It didn't seem like revenge or passion were apart, as he didn't know any of the victims. Sex and money also didn't seem to be a motive, as he only raped one victim, and outside of the watch he took from one of the victims that he gave to his wife later on, he never stole or took anything from the victims either. It was even mentioned that the acts of violence were committed with no words, and in some instances seemed to be in absolute silence, or in an infantile, even pre-speech level. After they were dead, he spent hours smoking cigarettes and drinking beer while cutting up their bodies, most certainly in silence as well. It was also reported that while he was behind bars, other inmates and guards said that they saw pictures of playboys that were up on his wall that were cut up and disfigured much like he had done to his victims. I hate that. Uh, I don't know why. Why don't you tell me? I I said the same thing in that last Black Widow that you talked about. So I was going to say the Black Widow said the same thing. Um, No. (laughs) No. It's kind of a, it's a cop out. I, there, there are moments in my life where like I can get really emotional and like just cry for no reason or like I, I lash out or whatever. Um, and previously I didn't have like words to put towards it. Like I, I didn't understand why I was doing what I was doing. Um, now we know it's cause I get overstimulated and like all of that other stuff, but I can tell you what I'm feeling and I can tell you, you know, I, I don't know how to explain it, but this, like, there was too much. 
there was too much, you know. Well, I think I think somewhere. something with these with these types of people, um, because I can say, for instance, with my ex, um, there was fairly certain there was at least one personality disorder going on there. Anytime I would ask him one. why he was acting a, way, a certain way or why he was doing certain things, it was always, I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm, it was never, I'm frustrated about this specific situation. I'm upset about this. It's I'm angry. I'm mad. That was all he could ever tell me. And that's because he lacked, completely lacked the ability to be able to look at himself and discern his feelings about anything or tell me anything outside of just that he was angry. Because anger is the easiest emotion to latch onto and to Truly. describe how you're feeling. So I feel like in some cases, they may not actually have known why, like the ultimate motive. They just felt an emotion that they had no ability to actually describe or tell somebody about. Nor yeah. did they have the desire to try to put a name to it because that's what it care. is that's what it is that's why it makes me mad because they're sitting there and they're saying people are saying why did you do this and this person is saying i don't know you tell me like they're putting the responsibility of their own actions and why they did it on somebody else it's like a narcissistic play i mean if you ask Truly. them why they would probably put it on the the victims too like yeah. it was just so pretty well what does that have to do with anything that doesn't make it okay for what you to do what you did? Well, I'm not saying that that's just the reason why. No, it's not. That's not the reason why that's just the easy answer. They, that's what yeah. it is. They don't want to put in the effort to actually figure it out because what's the point? Well, they they're, like, they're they behind like, bars. They did it. They confessed. Why are we still talking about yeah. it? Yeah. Well, they lack the ability to self-reflect. I think that's kind of what you were trying mm -hmm. to get to when you're talking about your ex and maybe it's not even they lack the ability to self-reflect but they you like that for my husband uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not just it's interesting <laughs> they lack the ability to self-reflect it's like they they refuse to self-reflect because the second they look inwards they don't like what they see I think they lack the ability and they have no desire to develop the ability. Yeah. They have the ability to develop that. They just refuse to do so because they don't want to. I get it. I get it. I spent so many it's years hard. trying not to because I didn't <laughs> like what I saw. I could not stand what I saw when I did self-reflection and I still don't like it. But the more and more I do it, the better person I become. Well, it's like I used to tell you when we were working together, right? I, if you have a problem with something that I do or say, tell me. Because if you don't tell me, I have no idea that you're upset with me or why. But if you tell me, then that gives me the information I need to do better. Or maybe what I did was justified and you don't understand why. And I can tell you why I did what I did. Yeah. Because and that's basically the same thing, only you're doing it to yourself. All right, self. Let's let's talk about why I did the thing that I did and why I feel this way. Yeah, it's they, a lot harder. <laughs> they lack uh, self accountability, like accountability sure. within yourself and and things like that. And I just again, it it pisses me off because it's it's like that narcissist. I can't stand anything that has a narcissistic tendency to it. Like it it really triggers me. And I think well, gee, that, I wonder why. I know, <laughs> and that. When when Same. they do that and they say that there's like this oh you Don't can't you. you can't put the onus of responsibility on other people 
for this. You did it. At the end of the day, you did this. It you, It's yours. It. You own it. it. And that's why serial killers piss me off and I hate talking about them. Fair enough. <laughs> I also found it um, a little interesting that about six months before he was caught, a profile was released. The killer, according to the profile, was weak, powerless, timid, and fearful. A nobody who discovered he could reverse those feelings when controlling somebody else. Sound like a narcissist? <laughs> on the horrific condition of the first mutilated body, the profile predicted the murderer would turn out to be a man who grew up with a weak father and a domineering mother. You know what would be the ultimate troll in this situation? It's if you printed that out and just mailed it to him every single day for the rest of his life <laughs> so that he had to see it. You weak son of a hey. bitch. <laughs> How crazy is this profile? It's you. <laughs> oh, you pussy. I'm well, no, no, no. You dig. Yeah. Pussies aren't weak. No. Unfortunately, on a side note, in September of 1977, 26-year-old Kenneth Lynn Curry kidnapped and robbed a taxi driver. Kenneth was Hyatt's son and later claimed that he committed the crime in order to go to prison and have a chance to avenge his mother's death by killing Wisen himself. Oh. I mean, I get it. Terrible. Like, but that sucks. Hurt other people, man. But uh, I can only imagine. Like, I mean, I can only imagine the amount of anger that that man had in him for for what happened. Still not an excuse. Still reprehensible. Still still responsible for your own actions. His father, his uh, Wisenhunt's father, apparently died before finding out about his son's crimes, or at least the last ones. He passed away while he was serving, while Thomas was serving time um, for the attempted murder at the Air Force Base. At the time of his death, he was still married to his abusive wife, who had physically, emotionally, and verbally abused him for more than 40 years. Emma died in 1984, so she was alive and all too aware of her son's heinous crimes. She visited her son often while he was on death row. She continued to live at their house on Clark Street, where Thomas was born and raised. She never spoke about her beliefs or feelings in public, as far as I could find. Okay. So, I'm sure she defended him. Of course. If I had to guess. Despite the fact that his original conviction was reversed by the Alabama Court of Criminal Appeals when he was... uh, Despite the fact that the original conviction was reversed, when he was retried in 1981, he was convicted again. That conviction was upheld, but the death sentence was overturned due to a remark made by the prosecutor during the sentencing phase of the trial. Oh, shit. So a new hearing was held held in 1987, and Wisenhunt was sentenced to death again. Oh, so no. basically, nothing was accomplished. I mean, I'm not for the death penalty. The fact is, no, me. but at the same time, he was able to avoid his execution for more than 30 years through successful appeals and prosecutorial error. But in November of 2009, the Assistant Attorney General filed a motion asking the Supreme Court of Alabama to set an execution date. That date was set for May 27, 2010. So on May 27, 2010, Wisenhunt was executed via lethal injection at Holman Correctional Facility near Atmore, Alabama. In case you were wondering, the last meal he chose, which is very odd, but is one reason why I wanted to include it to see what you thought, was chicken leg quarters. Wasn't what? specified how they were cooked, so I'm assuming they're not fried. French fries. American cheese. Weird, but Okay. Orange drink, can't say the brand, just orange drink, coffee, and chocolate pudding. Ooh, what the fuck? He had orange drink and coffee? Yeah, that's what I said. What, what? the heck? <laughs> oh, oh, sociopath. 
That is <sighs> just American cheese. Like you just wanted a slice of American cheese. So he didn't have it like melted on the fries. It, was it didn't just- say that. It just said French fries, American cheese, orange drink, coffee, and chocolate pudding. And I then just, chicken leg quarters. Like I don't know what that means. General. Is that like is that like the like the is it like chicken feet where they pickle it? Or the chicken leg quarters? Yeah. No, like you can get just the leg quarters cooked. Like you can I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'll show you a picture later. Okay. Get this they were like, it's actual I'm chicken. They were, yeah, it's actual chicken. Okay. What it's just a big piece. It, it, normally, when you get chicken like fried, it's cut into pieces. This is kind of all put together. It's still all together. You kind of you get chicken leg quarters when you order it at a, a chicken at a barbecue place and it's smoked. Okay. Sometimes I'll give you a chicken leg quarter. Okay. All right. I know what you're talking about, but still, what a psychopath to order coffee it, and a, orange drink. Such a weird and chocolate pudding. I'm assuming Ugh. it's like Sunny D or something like that. And they can't uh, well, say. yeah, they can't. Uh, they can't say. Free advertisement, no, no Sunny D. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> you're the last I don't drink for a cereal. Want to be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, want to be that, but okay. I don't know that that's true. Like, don't quote me on. I'm <laughs> just saying that's probably what it was. Uh, or it's like just orange juice or something like that. And they it just said orange drink. So I mean, it could have been juice. like Fanta. Yeah. It could have been like a Fanta or something. It could have been. Knows. But have you ever like, I imagine drinking coffee and having like orange drink. Um, tang. Oh, it could have been Tang. tang. Yeah. Oh, man, uh, tang was pretty popular back then. <laughs> um, Even that was such a bad tasting drink. <laughs> I like Tang. It was uh, so much. It's, it was good. I don't know. Um, we can't be friends anymore. Uh, no, like when you brush your teeth and you drink like orange juice, I imagine Uh, that's what that combination tastes like. Like, yeah, that's what that combination tastes like. Like, gross. No, thanks. Ugh. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what a serial killer orders as his last meal. He declined to make a final statement. Um, his total time spent on death row was 32 years, eight months and 20 days. How many? Why do do I mention that? He spent longer on death row than any other prisoner in Alabama, at least at that time. In October of 2020, an inmate who had served more than 40 years on death row died from pneumonia. So I guess technically he still served the most time uh, as far as prisoners that were actually executed. But yeah, 32 years, 8 months, and 20 days. And I'm going to harp and on it. was through all of those appeals and, and that delayed it further and further and further. And, and by the way, all of those appeals cost the taxpayers money. Just oh, FYI. hundreds of thousands of dollars. This is why we don't like the death penalty. Much, much more money than it would have been to say, just keep them on death row for, for a life sentence. Yeah. So for, for those of you who sit out there and like, just kill them. We need to stop wasting our taxpayer dollars on like keeping them fed and alive and treated and stuff like so much more money goes into the appeals process. Because we have for- to make sure that we have done our due diligence before we kill a person. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we don't kill people that quote, aren't supposed to well. again, we won't go into that. <laughs> Oh, goodness. So that's all I got on um this good job. Effort. Um great job. I'm going to go uh jump off the porch. <laughs> Please uh, don't. You're going to have a leg injury like Tucker. I know. <laughs> and then you'll be whining in your crate all day long and bu- bugging your husband. No, he would like it. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> oh god i had to lighten up the mood somehow anyways great job where can our listeners find us on the medias um, I mean, if you're if you if you care to, if you're looking, it's at Reaper Tales Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. How about email? And sometimes we post the right episode information <laughs> on our social media. I posted the right episode information. I posted a couple of the wrong pictures. Ah, okay. Oops. Oops. But but I took it down, so some of you got a like sneak peek. But yeah, oh, yeah hell whatever. whatever. Um, we never said we were professional. <laughs> no. In fact, we've said the opposite quite a few times. Very far from it. You can email us at, you can email me at reapergals at reapertales.com. Stop emailing us about promotions. Don't <laughs> care. I don't want to promote the podcast. Okay. Thanks. Um, but you can continue to email me to give me little cute facts, um, or not so cute facts. Um, and don't email me to tell me that I need to stop talking about political stuff. Um, because I'm just going to delete it. That's all. Uh, but I do enjoy those that email me late at night when I'm editing the podcast because they know I'm awake. I'm always awake. Still. Still. So if you have, um, we're going to have like spooky episodes coming out all this month. But if we have ever covered anything and you have a first set account about any of it, please, by all means, send us information because we'll totally add it. Yeah, we've got a couple that we have to uh, splice in because <laughs> we yeah, they came so- out after. <laughs> yeah, you guys are great. Um, oh, rate, review, subscribe, all those things that you guys know what to do. Um, you know, bonus points if you do it on listening platforms that you don't actually use. But hey, we really appreciate all the love that you guys give us. And maybe, you, you know, maybe more people might like to hear about it. So when you do that, it helps us out. Yep, truly. Well, we love you. We mean it until um, 30 minutes from now. Uh, <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> the Reaper will come for us all.